let's start by going to the throne of grace this evening. Heavenly Father, we thank you. We thank you that we have access to you through Christ, through his work, what he's done, and through the work of your spirit in our hearts to bring us to repentance and faith. And we thank you for the great privilege of prayer and pray that we would be encouraged about it this evening as we look at your word. Pray that you'd give us understanding, help us to see from the example written here about persistence. Help us to be persistent in prayer and to not give up. And we pray that you would increase our faith. Uh, and we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Um, have you had the experience of uh, talking with someone and they completely stopped listening to you? I found this uh, t-shirt example here. It says, my wife says I only have two faults. One is I don't listen and I can't remember the other one, right? Um, now, in, in my household, it is my, it is my wife who is the good listener in reality, but I'm gonna tell you a funny aspect of our relationship though, because my wife is an extremely hard worker and when we get to the end of the day, she gets really tired. So there are some times when we're talking and, and you know, you, you understand how it is. You have children. Uh, you wait to the end of the day many times to talk about stuff. So we wait till the end of the day many times. And um, sometimes when I'm talking, she's quite worn out. And it's not out of any disrespect, but she just falls asleep even sometimes while we're engaged in a conversation. Um, now, that's not frustrating because I understand uh, she's just really tired. But um, isn't it frustrating when people don't listen? You know, there are examples of, uh, you know, men who maybe are engaged in sports activities or things on the TV, and so their attention span's not very good. Um, there are times where we try to have conversations with people and they don't listen. And, and when that happens in reality, it can be quite a frustrating thing, isn't it? To not have somebody listen to us when we're talking. Um, found an example here, too, of a, a guy who's trying to stay awake. Not going to be able to listen to that state. But um, if we're honest, wouldn't we have to admit that sometimes we think God's not hearing us. God's not really going to do something about the thing that's bothering us so bad and we've been talking to him about a lot. I, I think most of us at least have periods of our lives where we feel that way, where we've poured our hearts, hearts out, we're not seeing any progress, we're not seeing improvement, and sometimes even we've prayed and the situation seems to get worse instead of better. And Sometimes we really get concerned and, and worried or frustrated that God's not going to answer this or wondering even perhaps sometimes if he's listening. Well, we're going to look in Matthew chapter 15 at a lady who approached the Lord when he was in physical uh, form on the earth and he literally does not answer her. Uh, when she asks him something. So she really does 
experience this, and I think we, we can learn a lot from this encounter with this one woman and what she had with the Lord and the ultimate result of it. So let's go ahead and look at verses 21 to 28 in Matthew 15 and read about the Syrophoenician woman. Uh, basically, this is a woman who is not a Jewish woman. She's uh, from uh, Syrophoenicia here or uh, the region uh, around Israel, but not part of Israel. So let's look at 21 and 20. It says, Jesus went away from there and withdrew into the district of Tyre and Sidon. And a Canaanite woman from that region came out and began to cry out, saying, Have mercy on me, Lord, son of David. My daughter is cruelly demon-possessed. But he did not answer her a word. And his disciples came and implored him, saying, Send her away because she keeps shouting at us. But he answered and said, I was sent only to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. But she came and began to bow down before him, saying, Lord, help me. And he answered and said, It is not good to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. But she said, Yes, Lord, but even the dogs feed on the crumbs which fall from their master's table. Then Jesus said to her, O woman, your faith is great, and it shall be done for you as you wish. And her daughter was healed at once. So we're going to focus on this woman who had great faith. And we're, we see in this account how her great faith led to her persisting in asking that her daughter would be healed from the Lord. So she had great faith that led to her persisting. But I want you to realize some things about her faith here. First of all, that her faith was based on a recognition of the Savior. She understood some things about the Lord as she's coming to him. First of all, she understood his person, who he was. Notice how she addresses him. When you look at uh, 22 there, it says she began to cry out saying, Have mercy on me, Lord, son of David. She calls him Lord. Lord means ruler. It means sovereign authority. She is indicating with her statements that she understands he is the Lord, that she recognizes who he is. Not only does she call him Lord, she calls him the son of David. Now that might, to us who aren't Jewish people, just sound like a general Hebrew phrase that they throw out there, you know, son of so-and-so. But it's not just that. It's an indication that he is the son of David the promised son of David, which is the Messiah. She's recognizing he is the Lord. He is the Messiah, the promised one who would come. So she had a basic knowledge of his person, who he was, that many of the Jewish people at that time did not have. There's also a story told in one of the Gospels about the blind man. I think maybe it's in... Maybe it's in John, but um, blind Bartimaeus. You remember blind Bartimaeus? He calls out. 
he does the same kind of thing. Have mercy on me, son of David. It's a recognition of faith. They recognize who he is. So she understands he is the promised Messiah who would come, and she's not even Jewish. But she recognizes this. She also recognizes his compassion. Notice she pleads for mercy here. She says, have mercy on me. She's recognizing the request she's asking is not something she deserves, but it would be an act of pity. It would be an act of God looking favorably upon her and showing kindness to her. She is pleading for this mercy. Now, she asks for it for herself, but we know because we read the rest of the story and, and, and the rest of this phrase and this verse that it's really her daughter that she's worried about. So she's asking, though, for mercy. She recognizes he is compassionate. We're not told how she knows these things. Perhaps she's heard of other miracles that he's done or has watched him as he's worked with other people, but she recognizes he is compassionate and she's asking for mercy on her life and healing for her daughter. And notice that she also recognizes his power. She's ultimately asking for him to do something about this demon that has been troubling her daughter. He, she says, my daughter is cruelly demon-possessed. But she recognizes that he's Lord. She recognizes that he's compassionate, and therefore in coming to him and asking him to do something about it, she is recognizing his power. So, she has faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. She correctly understands who he is and what he's capable of doing. So this is good. And we should, we should be reminded that this is an essential component of proper prayer, recognizing who God is and what he's capable of doing. Right? Hebrews talks about he that cometh to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of those that diligently seek him, right? We need to recognize he is all-powerful, and he can do above all that we can ask or think. But I know that I'm speaking to the faithful crowd tonight, so I don't think this first area that we're talking about is really the biggest problem that most of us face. I think it's really these next steps that we talk about as we look at what the woman goes through here. We, we see, secondly, her repetition. Even though he does not answer her a word, see, we see he, he responds uh, with silence. He doesn't respond to her request at all. She pours out her heart, has a proper recognition of who he is here, asks him for mercy, tells him about her daughter who is in a terrible situation, and what does the Lord do? Nothing. Silence. He did not answer. Literally, it says, he did not answer her a word. Didn't say a single thing. Now, doesn't this seem strange? Here's somebody coming in faith, asking the Lord to do something. 
He's done before. Why the silence? And, and, and again, I know it's the faithful crowd, so this is a familiar story and you're familiar, but don't we run into this too? We, we ask him for things all the time, and they're the right things, we're coming the right way, and many times they don't happen right away. We see nothing. It can be a struggle where we get discouraged, we doubt, we question, we quit asking. Sometimes we assume too quickly that his answer is no. Right now, we, we're familiar with the story with Paul where he had the thorn in the flesh, right? Um, Paul continues to ask the Lord to remove this flesh from me, right? And Paul's probably not just focused on selfishly getting rid of some pain in his life. There probably is some challenges he faces in ministry because of the things that he's dealing with. He's asking the Lord for this. It seems like a reasonable thing. And he's told by God, my grace is sufficient for thee. So basically, no, it's not going to be removed. You're going to have to continue to deal with that. So he does, in that case, stop asking for that because he recognizes, like we talked about this morning, in his weakness, God's glory, God's strength is shown. So Paul stops asking. But I think in our case, we often stop asking too quickly. Now, God's not going to put a, a message in the sky for us, or uh, many times we're not going to know that his answer is no for a long time. But I think a lot of times we assume it's no, and we just stop asking. But this woman continues to cry out. She is still crying out, even though he's silent. And the way we know this is because the disciples complain about it. They say, basically, send her away. She keeps shouting at us. So the disciples are annoyed with her. Send her away. Lord, do something about her. Stop this already. But she continues to ask. She repeatedly asks. Reminds me... Sometimes of the, the little children in our house. Have you, ha have you had a little child or a little grandchild, perhaps? Um, in my case, you know, Dad. You're, you're busy or you're focused on something else. Dad. 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 And finally, you can't help but you have to answer, right? Because they're forcefully trying to interrupt and get their point across, right? Now, sometimes that can be sinful, but we need to have that kind of mindset many times when approaching God about important things that are good and right, and we should be asking for. There should be a determination to see God answer that. We should have the faith to persist in asking. This woman does that. She is persisting. Um, she continues to ask, even though she's gotten no answer. All right, but let's look at how the rest of the story goes. Verse 24 and 25. Notice verse 24. The disciples now have complained to the Lord about her, asking him to send her away. But he answered and said, I was sent only to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. So we have here a denial, right? He's denying, denying a request. 
She is not a gent or she is a Gentile, she's not a Jew. And he's saying that his focus of ministry is supposed to be upon the Jews. He was sent to the Jews to offer them the kingdom. However, they were rejecting and ultimately did reject. But his primary ministry is to Israel. And we see this even in, uh, I believe it was Matthew 9. We talked last week about how he sent, or Matthew 10, where he sends out the disciples to preach. And he tells them when they go to preach, only go to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. His focus initially is upon the Jewish people. So that's accurate, that's consistent. Obviously he's not lying here. He's telling her that his priority of ministry is on the house of Israel. And that's how he's been operating. So it would seem here it's done. The Lord says that his focus is upon the lost sheep of Israel. So certainly, this would seem to be a discouraging answer. That she's asked for this. It seems like a reasonable request, something he's done for others. But yet, she's getting seemingly denied here. And you would think she might be discouraged because she's not a Jewish person. Therefore, it would seem he's not willing to take care of this situation for her. But then notice how she responds. Instead of being overwhelmed by discouragement and stopping, she continues in faith to persist and pursue the answer to this request. So we see her kneel down, verse 25, and approach the Lord. It says, But she came and began to kneel, or bow down before him, saying, Lord, help me. So what we have here is this simple plea for help that she comes as, as she comes in a worship gesture, gesture. She is bowing down. Not that it's fake. I'm just saying she's bowing down, which is her indication of submission and worship of him. She's recognizing him again as Lord. She calls him Lord. Lord, help me. Just a simple expression of a request for him to intervene in the situation. So, what we see here, and I think it's important to understand about this situation, we, we might ask, why, why doesn't the Lord answer this right away? I mean, we know the rest of the story. He's going to answer. Why, why doesn't he do it right away? Well, I think there's several reasons we'll bring out, and some of which we've already been talking about, is she needs to persist, right? It's a demonstration of her faith, the fact that she does persist, but we also see her improve her approach to the Lord. The way he's not answered or has now answered leads her to an even more reverent approach. And I believe God works in our lives the same way. Sometimes we don't get answers right away because God's bringing growth in our lives in the process of waiting. In the process of not having the answer, God's bringing growth in our lives. And we see her improve in how she approaches the Lord. She's not only just simply recognized him as Lord, she is now humbling herself before him. She is coming as a beggar. And that's going to be called out even more in the next steps here where we see her response of humility. So verse 26. And this 
thinking from a plot standpoint is like the peak, uh, the, the key point of the, the contest or the, uh, the climax of the uh, circumstance here where she is told by him in verse 26, it is not good to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. Now what does that mean? He's already explained that his primary focus of ministry at this time is the lost sheep of the house of Israel. So those are the children. The children of Israel are his primary focus in ministry. So they're the ones upon whom he is focusing. And he says, it's not good to take their bread and throw it to the dogs. Well, who are the dogs? The Gentiles. Now, I know it may be hard for uh, the children to understand this. In our household, we, we do not have a dog. Um, we have a more biblical view. No, I'm just, I'm teasing, I'm teasing. No, uh, the biblical view of dogs, though, is very different than our modern view of dogs. Many homes, you have dogs. Perhaps some of you have dogs. Um, my household growing up had a dog, and I had a, a dog that was a great, a great uh, companion and loved the dog. But that was not the biblical view of dogs. Dogs were dirty scavengers that would go around seeking crumbs and, and uh, eating scrap food or um, just scavengers. They were not good. They were dirty. They were filthy. So if anyone was referred to as a dog, that was an insult. It was a put down to say you were a dog. So the dogs in this case are Gentiles. So he's saying it's not good to take the bread for the children and throw it to the dogs. And you can understand the picture in that day and age. Taking bread meant for your children, your family, that's tossed to these scavenger, dirty, filthy dogs would be irresponsible. You're not taking care of your children. But she's basically being called a dog, right? This is a degrading term. This is a negative thing. But how does she respond? Look at her humility. Verse 27. But she said, Yes, Lord, but even the dogs feed on the crumbs which fall from their master's table. Amazing. She doesn't deny that she's a dog. She doesn't defend herself. She doesn't say, why are you calling me a dog? She's recognizing she is on the outside. She's not from Israel. She's recognizing that. She's accepted that. She realizes she's a beggar. And again, thinking about the progress of how this has developed, the steps have led her also to accept this. You see how she's humbled herself, bowing and pleading with him as a beggar, and the, the analogy he's using here further leads her down the road of recognizing her state as a beggar pleading with God to do something that she doesn't deserve. 
She says, truth, Lord. She recognizes it. She doesn't argue. She agrees. She humbly submits here and says, though, that the crumbs are enough. You talk about faith. The leftovers are good enough. God's leftovers are good enough. She knows it's a small thing for God to do this for her. And she's okay with that. She, she says it's good enough. She acknowledges her place, not as a child of Israel, but as an outsider, and in great faith says, even the tiniest crumb of your mercy is sufficient to meet the need I'm asking for here. She has incredible, incredible humility. I found this quote from Andrew Murray. He pastored several churches in South Africa in the mid-1800s, and he had this quote about humility. He says, The humble man feels no jealousy or envy. He can praise God when others are preferred and blessed before him. He can bear to hear others praised while he is forgotten because he has received the Spirit of Jesus, who pleased not himself, who sought not his own honor. Therefore, in putting on the Lord Jesus Christ, he has put on the heart of compassion, kindness, meekness, long-suffering, and humility. She definitely had that kind of attitude. Notice uh, a, a quote from M.R. DeHaan also. He says, Humility is something we should constantly pray for, yet never thank God that we have. So we have this lady humbly approaching God, recognizing her lowly position. And I think this is a great reminder for us. What, what leads us to be angry and frustrated when we approach God for things? Is it not an expectation that we deserve this? Or he has to do something? Or he's wrong if he doesn't? I mean, wrong attitudes in our hearts, right, are what leads us to be frustrated with God. She instead, though, has a humble recognition of who she is she has no right to demand anything from God she is a beggar and so are we we need to recognize our low position and respond with humility like she does here and what's the result what's the result of all this verse 28 then Jesus said to her O woman your faith is great it shall be done for you as you wish and her daughter was healed at once. So the result is she's praised. She's praised by the Lord for her great faith. See, all of this was a test. It was a temporary pause in not answering her. And it was to demonstrate to her, her faith. It brought some humility or growth in the process, but it also demonstrated the faith that she had, and therefore was also a rebuke to Israel who did not recognize the Lord Jesus Christ like this. So he praises her for her great faith. This was the plan all along. When he did not answer, it wasn't because he wasn't going to, right? It was the plan all along to answer her request. It was a temporary lack of answer. 
And what an encouragement and challenge to us to think about our own prayers. God already knows what he's going to do. But he wants us to keep asking, to keep seeking him. Because one of the things that's going to happen in the process is our faith will be strengthened and our humility should grow, right? We continue to recognize the closer we draw to the Lord, the less we deserve, the, worthy, the greater and more worthy he is, and the less worthy we are. She is praised for her great faith. And she is a rebuke to the Israelites at that time who had rejected the Lord. And she's like Cornelius. If you remember Cornelius, Jesus says about him, I have not found so great faith, no, not in Israel. A rebuke to Israel for their lack of faith. And the result ultimately is her prayers are answered. She has her daughter restored. It says her daughter was healed at once, immediate answer. And isn't that interesting, interesting that God does often work that way, doesn't he? How many times have we prayed and prayed and prayed and prayed and nothing happens, nothing happens, nothing happens, and then all of a sudden things start happening and boom, it's done. Sometimes that's the way it goes, isn't it? We, we would much rather in our human nature many times, at least me, just see it slowly unfold. We know it's in progress, and we can just watch it happen. But that's often not how God works. Sometimes it might go like that. But often by faith, we have to trust him. We don't see answers. We need to continue to seek him. We need to continue to seek him. So, just a few thoughts in conclusion tonight. Um, we need to properly understand who God is and his power as we approach him in prayer. Like, like she properly recognized he was the Lord, he's the Messiah. We need to recognize who God is. Again, if you're anything like me, I think this is the part we tend to understand better than the rest. At least from my perspective, I know he's capable. I just sometimes question whether he will. And there are times where the answer will be no, legitimately. There are times where that will be the case. But I think we tend to give up too easily. We need to persist in asking God even when nothing happens for a while. I think it was George Mueller. And uh, I think Elizabeth just read the book recently, right? George Mueller book? I think it was George Mueller, but... Uh, he prayed for two different people to be saved. He prayed and prayed and prayed. I think he prayed for 40 or 50 years for them. And he died before either of them were saved. You could look at that situation and say, well, you know, it was a failure. You're going to your deathbed think, you know, why didn't God answer this? Well, one of them, as I understand, was saved at his funeral and the other was saved two years later. Now, not everyone that we pray for to be saved is going to be saved, most likely, unless we have a very small prayer list. But we need to be persistent in praying and not giving up, especially for those kinds of things. There are many things for which it's going to take a long time. We were, we were talking in family devotions not long ago about Daniel. 
You remember Daniel, and he's fasting and praying. The angel appears to him, I think it's 21 days later, three weeks later, essentially. And, and you think, wow, man, he's been fasting and praying for 21 days. Very, very intense, very significant. But what does the angel tell him? Your prayers have been heard. You are highly regarded, Daniel. Your prayers have been heard, and I was sent to come to you when you started praying. Three weeks ago, I started on my journey to come and see you, to, to appear to you, but was resisted by the prince of Persia, we, uh, demonic forces. Surely those kinds of things happen in our prayer request too. We just don't know that that stuff's going on. There are spiritual battles happening where we may be asking for something and it's already been ordered, just hasn't been delivered yet. We need to continue to pray. We need to also approach God worshipfully, humbly, recognizing we are beggars. It seems contrary to human logic in some ways that we would have to come and beg for something that we believe God wants to do and, and is a good thing. Why do we have to beg for it? Well, that's part of us recognizing who we are and growing to put ourselves in our proper place. We need to recognize, we need to approach him worshipfully. We need to approach him humbly because we don't deserve anything from him. And it's a gift. And we need faith, as this woman had here, to persist in prayer. Yes, there's going to be times where the answer is no. Like Paul got told that you're not going to be healed. You're going to have to deal with this, and my grace is sufficient for thee. But unless we're getting clear indications, if it's a good thing, it's a right thing to be praying for, we should persist. And we should do so wholeheartedly boldly approaching the throne of grace. And the result, in many cases, is we'll later be able to rejoice about answer to prayer. We need to boldly, consistently, faithfully approach him and not be discouraged or misread the lack of answers as a no automatically. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the fact that you listen to prayer. Father, as, as we look at the scripture and see examples like this and others, it's a rebuke to us that you, you want to answer prayer. You're eager to answer prayer, but often we're the problem or, or we're just impatient. Your timing is perfect and we're not willing to wait for it or be persistent. Help us, Father, to be persistent. Help us to have strong faith. Help us to continue to pray. Help us to recognize properly who you are and put ourselves in proper place, that we are, we are poor beggars who deserve nothing from you, but you are so generous. So help us, Father, to be diligent in asking. And, and Father, help each of us. We, we have been discouraged at times. Perhaps there are some discouraged now. Help us to overcome that and to persist, 
to be diligent, to be faithful in prayer. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.